Marcus Erickson can never win a race that's normal. Never! Welcome back to Motorsport 101. Never. Not in a million years. <laughs> Welcome to episode 423 of Motorsport 101. I am your friendly neighborhood host, Dre Harrison. And welcome to IndyCar 2023. We did because it! We did it! We're here! We made it! This oh series- my god, why is a car going up in the air? Oh god. I, I, I personally would like to think that nothing defines an IndyCar season more than a car going airborne 20 seconds into its first hot race. Sweet Jesus, there's another one! <laughs> oh, okay. We, we, got, we got two cars airborne. Okay, e- this is a bit wild, even for IndyCar standards. But yes, we are talking the season opener at St. Pete, which hasn't been talked about in any controversial sense over the last 48 hours at all. No, no, never. It's been nice and cheery and quiet. Hasn't that right, RJ O'Connell? Um, can I just say before we get into today's episode, uh, you remember yet, uh, on our last show mm. when our... Now, friend of the show, Ryan Nanny, mm. Secret Base alum, came on and joined us. And, and I mentioned something because uh, the Twitter API broken uh, hours before. Yeah. And I was like, well, m- well, here's where to find us if the site's working. Uh, the site is still working, thankfully. But mm. in the events that have transpired since, uh, as of this morning, I am locked out of my account. Someone busted into it, changed the password, and changed the email. Uh, So thankfully, it seems that whoever burgled my account as of today has not turned it into like crypto spam and I can check on it. Yeah, my profile is still intact and everything. Nobody is posting any insane shit. I just can't log into it right now. Uh, Maybe it will be resolved by the time we get back or maybe not. Who knows? Um, You can still follow us at motorsport underscore 101. Uh, yeah, that, you know that has not been compromised to my degree, hasn't it? It's no, sure, no, right? No, 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 no. I'm, as far as I'm aware, we're still good. Um, boy, <laughs> boy, I sure hope that uh, this would teach me to learn my lesson about two-factor authentication, like receiving a text message to validate my login. Wait a minute, they did what with it? They put it behind where, and I have to pay that much? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Elon Musk is really great at running social media sites, if I do say so myself. Um, what a fucking idiot. Anyway, um, yes, we'll be talking to Nikar at St. Pete. It's just me and RJ on this one. It's very cozy in here. Um, and we have a lot to talk about. And, well, the main one obviously being, well... <laughs> the two guys who were who were fighting for the win for much of this race until they weren't. Until and they the other two people that they were fighting that were fighting for the race, mm-hmm. until one of them suffered not an engine catastrophe, but an event, just enough to stop him from winning. Can you, anybody want to take a guess who that might have afflicted? Uh, uh, just a small reliability failure to stop them from winning. Yes, it's Padua War. How did you know? Um, yeah. So, um, yeah. All of that discussed in the next 45 minutes or so in what was a dramatic IndyCar season opener in St. Petersburg, to say the least. Um, we'll get into it very, very shortly. Places you can find this real quick. Uh, as said, as of the time of recording, 
Uh, Twitter is still intact. I can't say the same about RJ's, unfortunately. See, you might want to hold up on following him at RJ O'Connell just in case. Um, in the meantime, you can find me at Dre underscore WTF1 and uh, the podcast itself at Motorsport underscore 101. Website, motorsport101.com. If you want some extra thoughts on everything that happened in that IndyCar race from yours truly, um, fun fact, my race review for the IndyCar race at St. Pete was the biggest IndyCar race review I've ever written. Um, it was over 2,500 words in the end. I do not know how it came out so big. Um, that's not the first time I've been heard. I've been told that in my life. Um, that and Formula One in Bahrain is up as well. So extra content over there on the website if you're that way inclined. If you really like us, you can back us financially on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. Early access to all these shows, um, as well as recording room privileges, are available as well, depending on what level you back us at. Shout out to Jason, who's already in the chat. He said, quote, one day of normal IndyCar, that's all I ask for, will never happen. Um, so, and he's probably not wrong on that regard. Um, before we get into it, though, RJ, we have to kind of mention it because we covered the Rolex on the podcast this year for the first time That's yeah, right. in depth. And well, some controversy hit the Rolex because as of yesterday, um, we're recording this on, on March 9th, yesterday night, um, IMSA announced that the number 60 team will, was hit with a severe string of, of penalties for essentially trying to hide the fact that they were running illegally low tire pressures. I believe three PSI belows the standard limit. That's that's correct. Uh, the number 60 uh, GTP team was penalized for a Daytona infraction. Uh, somehow, somehow members of their team, engineers, staff, had, uh, had broken into a an IMSA standard part that monitors the tire pressures. And what they've done is that they created an offset that basically told the computers and told the series that we're running, let's say, I don't know, let's use an example. My car has 30 PSI in all of its tires. Mm. Um, they were able to create this offset that tells everybody that they're running it at 30 PSI, even though they were running at about, uh, let's say, based on what we've heard, about 26 27 uh, PSI, which uh, is is very, in one sense, it's ballsy because around the high banks of Daytona, uh, running very, very low tire pressures, even in the winter, <laughs> that Dangerous. is a risky, risky game to play. Mm. It also it explains one advantage that this car had uh, over much of the field throughout the race is that on restarts, when drivers are on, when everybody is on cold tires, they were able to uh, to maintain a stronger pace on green flag restarts than anybody else. And this seemed like a continuous thing that went on throughout the race. And oh, by the way, this just so happened to be the car that won the race overall, the Meyershank Racing Acura ARX 06. Tom Blomquist, Colin Braun, Simon Pagino, and Elio Castroneves. The list of penalties is long. The team oh, yeah. has been fined fifty thousand U.S. dollars. Mike Michael Shank himself has been placed on probation through June thirtieth of this year. Ryan McCarthy, the team's lead engineer, has had his IMSA annual credential revoked and his membership indefinitely suspended. Ouch. They've lost their prize money. They've lost all the points that they would have earned in the Michelin Endurance Cup. That is the 
Grand Slam tournament for all the big endurance races. And 200 out of the 350 team and driver points that they earned for winning the Rolex 24, which they are still winners of the Rolex 24. People have learned about a wonderful thing about American motorsports that we do not, we do not like to change results on this stuff. NASCAR only agreed to start taking away wins in 2019 at about the 60 years of NASCAR. And we just had this in IndyCar mm. last summer with Alexander Rossi. Although that friction was, I would say, way less severe oh, in yeah. hindsight. Oh, God, yeah. Look, there's a difference between having a water bottle that may or may not have contributed to your car technically being illegal. Look, I... I, I I think the punishment in Rossi's case was a lot more fitting of the crime in that instance. I can almost get there in justifying letting him keep the win on that instance. But this is a very American motorsport thing. I'm not the most I'm not the most knowledgeable NASCAR fan in the world, but even I knew that there's there'd been instances like there been instances like Richard Petty who had had like illegal engines and cars that he'd won with or illegal tires and they will fine him a hundred grand. They'll take points off him, but they'll let him keep the win, especially towards the back end of his career. Cause they knew he was close to 200 wins and they wanted that milestone of Petty getting to 200. Um, <laughs> I don't like it. I'm not going to pretend like I like this. Um, first and foremost, I feel bad for the drivers. Um, it sucks that Blogfist, Castro Neves, Braun, and Pagano have got a tainted win under their books. It sucks for everybody that mm. they beat, including uh, the second actor from Wayne Taylor racing an Andretti Autosport, who probably stood a better chance of winning than we thought if everybody was playing by the rules. And that was even when factoring in that they couldn't make a bodywork change that they wanted to to try and give themselves a better chance of winning, despite the fact that another car was running out of bounds on tire pressures. Right. Who knows how different it could have been? Who knows? And yeah, and, and it sucks given that you're meant to be all under the same Macara roof and you'd think that no one within your own camp would would. would themselves like turned them turned Meyer Shank racing in. Yeah. Which on I the- find amazing that considering like yeah parent company was like we've seen the data we think something's up mc you might want to take a look at this um so fair play to honda for for basically calling themselves out uh, on this instance and doing the right thing as far as we're aware because this could have very easily gone under the radar and no one would have noticed Um, nobody would have noticed it that's why you know it didn't come up in post-race inspection and one thing i'll say is that those race results remain official, like within minutes of the race ending. So I don't know exactly what the appeals process for IMSA to overturn a result such like this. It's not unprecedented in international motorsports because there are many rallies in 1995 that were official, and mm. all the results stood until somebody realized that people within Toyota Team Europe were uh, doing some funny shit with the turbochargers and their Celica GT4s. Mm-hmm. And then those results were overturned, and that's why Toyota didn't return until rallying until 1997. It's messy. It's political. It's it's not a good look for anybody involved. No one wins in these sorts of scenarios. Um, look, I don't, I, I don't like to be judge, jury, and executioner when it comes to things like this because I'm just one man with an opinion. But 
I am always of the belief of if that car ran illegally, which we now know that it did, they should not be allowed to keep the win. Because I think this is one of those instances where winning the race is more prolific from a historical standpoint than winning the championship. And yes, do not get me wrong. 200 points, I know, is a significant penalty. I'm not disputing that for a second. They will not win the championship now with that deduction in play, almost certainly. Um, But it's also a bit like the Indy 500. If Alex Rossi won the Indy 500 tomorrow and the car car failed tech inspection, are we taking the win off him? We, we, taking- haven't had, we haven't had a win taken off of anybody in like 42 years. And that was like a whole year long court battle between Mario Andretti and Bobby Unzer. And there was still bad blood that persisted for years and years and years after that. Only mm. at the end of Bobby's life did they bury the hatchet. Yeah. And look, I am a filthy F1 fanboy where technical infringements mean disqualifications. And that 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 is me. I hold my hands up if, if, if I'm showing my filthy European tendencies here a little bit more than most. Um, but you you can't let that result stand. I mean that that is forever. A, like, really, the Wayne Taylor racing should be the true winners of that race, and I think in the eyes of many they will be, and understandably so because they were the first legal car to cross the line. Um, I just don't like this mentality of letting them keep the win because. It's it's like Lance Armstrong and the Tour de France. Like, and don't get me wrong, that one's a bit more complicated because at the end of the day, I'm not stupid. Everybody in cycling was on the juice. <laughs> like, Lance was still better than everybody else by a mile. It's just that we all know that looking back on it now, he was kind of a martyr for the state of cycling in that everybody was on it. And at what point do you draw the line of, well, these guys never failed the drug test? And like how, and, and I know the Tour de France's way of handling that was vacate it. No one. Yeah, and that's, and that's that the race. thing that American motorsport will never, never ever do. do. We will never say <laughs> nobody won it. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's like as, as, as bad as it was with the Houston Astros in the 2017 Major League Baseball World Series, oh. they are not going to say nobody won that World Series. Yeah, like it's it's it, like it's dangerous to alter that much history. I get it, you know. Then there's been some darker reasons why many wins have been overturned in the world of sports. Unfortunately, it doesn't take a lot of googling to find out. Um, anyone who knows Penn State, for example, will know exactly what I'm talking about there. Um, yeah, it's complicated. I'm not going to dispute that, um, and I think it's a bit of a cultural thing depending on where you're racing is. I know the Europeans are a lot more, you know, shall we say, okay with overturning results um, and doing what they need to do to make that happen. Um, And this is Formula One. (laughs) There's one for the Hamilton fans out there. Yeah, F1 fixed, et cetera. But no, it's... it's, Yeah, I was about to say, there's like, the thing that immediately came up to me when I was discussing this elsewhere is just like, well, there's no real way to make this right other than the penalties they've given, much like there was no way to make you know, Abu Dhabi 2021 right in the eyes of some. And there will never be a way to make it right in the eyes of some. No. And, yeah, you're absolutely right. And, like, we all knew when that incident happened in the aftermath, you can't just give Hamilton the win back. That just technically speaking, Verstappen did nothing wrong in, in how that whole in that whole situation played out. Um, he was just dealt a better hand, unfortunately, and that's how it goes. And 
yeah, good luck to them on that one. And the fallout from this, I know, has been mighty. I've seen Brendan Hartley, you know, spew some venom regarding. Oh, oh, oh he had the he had the tweet and delete. Olivier Pla, who's a former Meyer Shank racing driver, did mm. not delete his reactions. Karma, Karma did. <laughs> remember, he was he was dropped for the team for perceived and. Well, unfortunately, it was kind of poor performance on his part. I wonder how Oliver Jarvis thinks about this. Because mm. uh, from all knowledge, Oliver Jarvis, who was with this team last year, had a mighty falling out with the uh, with the chief engineer, Ryan McCarthy, who got thrown under the bus for this whole thing. Mm. I'm wondering. Don't worry. I'll, I'll be sure to figure out what's going on because I'll be at Sebring starting this coming Tuesday. So by the hey. time you listen to this, I may already be here. I am not sure how forthcoming any of these dudes are going to be about it. I know I'm probably not going to ask like Shank or any of the guys over there about it. They're just probably going to want to get on and like go about winning a race the right way this time. Mm, yeah. And yeah, it's look, I, I don't think my man, the engineer there was the only person who was in on this. I, I, I really, I mean, I'll, I get it. He's most likely the most accountable person. On yeah. that team, for ha- and of course, unfortunately, if you are that person, you have you have to fall on that grenade. Uh, there is no doubt about it. But I, I'm almost certain that he was not the only one in on it. And then you have to ask the question: Well, at, at, at that point, how deep does this run? Um, and that's a fair question to ask. So, uh, good luck to try and trying to figure that one out. But on the other hand, on the other hand, before we move on, at mm. least the Porsche GT cars got a little more engine power for Sebring. Yay! Who doesn't love that? Who All doesn't right. love that? Hey, one, no. one crisis from Daytona resolved. Mm. Uh, another one still lingering. Let's talk about IndyCar's season opener. As the weekend started with Roman Grosjean getting his first pole in over a year, and that was good. Um... Roman Grosjean led the first stint of the race until about he comes in the pin on lap 32. Scott McLaughlin, who started on the harder primary tires, started seventh. And after the first round of pit stops, barely squeaked out ahead of Roman Grosjean as he exited the pits the first time to take the lead, the net lead of the race. We had a bunch of green, white and green flag of the caution comes out, restarts. Uh, McLaughlin still leads ahead of Grosjean, and then they have to make their final pit stops. Grosjean comes in a lap earlier to make his final pit stop. McLaughlin comes in the following lap. Uh, He's held up behind another car coming in the pits, but they service him. He comes out just ahead of Grosjean again, coming through the blind right-hand turn three. Maybe maybe one car length in it. I'd say less than one car length in it. They were, Mm. Grosjean was, if Grosjean doesn't slam the brakes at turn three, he, he probably ends up in the same situation that his teammate Devlin DeFrancesco ends up in, which is popping up airborne down that run from turns three to four. But right. they come out tail to nose. Grosjean on warm tires decides that he is going to pass McLaughlin around the outside. McLaughlin holds a defensive line going in the braking zone, and then he locks up the rears, skids out, and the two slam into each other and slam each other into the tire bearers. Grosjean retires from the race with damages. McLaughlin gets back in the race, serves a drive-through penalty, and finishes a lap down in 13th. Grosjean will be classified in 17th place. 
Rojan was understandably furious. He slammed his fist against the tire barriers mm. and let out a Super Saiyan 2 transformation scream into them. Understandable yeah. when their first mm. career win that you've been working so hard for slips out of your fingers. McLaughlin was pretty bummed about it. He said he made a mistake, that he needs to make better decisions, and you know, apologized profusely to Grosjean afterwards, and the two of them embraced shortly after the race. But, Dre, this was a race of strange driving standards up and down the day. I mean, we joked about it, but two cars went airborne in multiple separate incidences, and that was before we got to any of this. 15 seconds into the race, Scott Dixon nudges Rosenquest into the wall, and that causes a six-car pileup. That was 20 seconds into the season. Um, and then you could argue that was only the second most dramatic incident of that race. Um, so yeah, like, like it was, th there was two things at play here for me. Number one, drivers have been struggling with turn four all weekend long. Like, I don't know if it was a brake bias or a setup issue where teams felt like they were struggling to get the brake biases right. Cause a lot of people were struggling and losing control under breaking into turn four. That was something that was happening a lot. I, we joked on our Discord server that, you know, how many toe links can we break before this weekend's out due to wall nudges, wall taps? I think I've put a lot of that down to driver rust. We, you forget you barely drive these cars for six months a year, which probably doesn't help. And St. Pete is not a forgiving circuit. Oh, under, no. it's, under a, it's a it's a temporary street circuit. There's hardly any grip on the track. They've actually reprofiled that fast turn three where mm. multiple people, and it wasn't just an IndyCar, but the support races, dudes were slamming that wall. Oh, Whether yeah. it was Indy Nets, any of the USF pros, GT America, that corner was catching people out. So was turn four. Um, and then you could, and you know, it's, it's not like the thermal club. No, no it, it's not like that. 100% it isn't like that. So that's one factor that comes into play. And I, okay, I, I wrote about this on my Dre's race review. I will say it again here publicly because I'm an honest man. Um, during that race, I put out a tweet that said, IndyCar, the way you're racing Romain Grosjean differently is making you all look like clowns. Sincerely, yours, straight. Now, I openly admit it was a bit of a heat of the moment tweet. Um, I'm a sports fan like any other. Um, sometimes I let my emotions get the better of me, even though I try not to as a motorsport fan because I like to keep a level head on a lot of these situations. And I also openly admit my stance on this has cooled a little bit because of the way McLaughlin handled himself afterwards. He handled it about as well as a driver reasonably could. He was fully took full accountability and apologized, and I'm glad that he did. I have to also say, though, and this thought will not leave my head, I'm starting to think this is happening to Grosjean a little bit too much for my liking. It, it's, it's, I don't know where you draw the line of this is just a coincidence and how many times I go before I go, is something deeper at work here? Because I've gone back through race reviews and I've gone back through memories, specifically when Grosjean joined Andretti last year. There's incidents like Jack Harvey taking him out in Indianapolis's road course, which was a, a classic run him onto the grass move, and that was completely unnecessary. I remember mid-Ohio last year and how Alex Rossi tagged him under yellow 
And I think that's about as near as a, a slam dunk, deliberate bit of contact as I've seen in the series today. Oh, yeah. And with, I, and with the content, so like their their relationship had completely broken down by then. Yeah, and they were and they were taking out on their own damn teammates. Yes, yeah, like everybody in the, in the Andretti camp lost their heads, except for Devlin De Francesco. Don't ask. Um, Devlin De Francesco was the most blameless man of the whole weekend within Andretti Autosport. How all, um, he, all he did was get t- turned around by Santucci Farino and then get launched up in the air by Devin Peter. De- Benjamin Peterson. I'm thinking of the darts player from South Africa and mm. not the Danish racing driver who was born in Seattle, but I digress. Yes. Um, I think back to that. I think back to the big one of last year. That was Joseph Newgarden at Nashville, where he tried a similar lunge down the inside of the back burner and put Grosjean in the wall and, you know, I also think of Barber last year where Ray Hall and Grosjean banged wheels a couple of times. It was incident that there was no real harm done. It was a bit petty, you could say at most, but Ray Hall exploded in the TV interview after that race, said that he needs to go back where he came from. And we he doubled down on Will Buxton's Instagram page and said that 15 drivers agreed with him via text message. Now, I don't know how genuine that was from Graham, He's he's never been shy of mincing his words, um, and basically writing checks his ass can't cash. He's he's made a bit of a career out of that. Unfortunately, he is a hothead. I'm not disputing that. I, uh, at at what point do I think that there may be something more at play here? And I, it worries me because <sighs> what's the best way me word in this? I've been an IndyCar fan for about seven years now. This is like, I think, my seventh or eighth full season watching. IndyCar has this weird cultural knack of punching up at Formula One's existence. And Grosjean is the big name Formula One import. A lot of people knew him because of DTS and the fact that his fireball was very prominently featured beyond F1 circles. It was a heavy feature of season three of DTS. Because I remember watching that season. Um... And, uh, you know, when he had that poll at, at the Indy Road course and the, the infamous picture of the burnt hand holding the P1 award and holding the runners-up trophy, that went viral. You know, there's been a lot of significant moments in IndyCar that, in the last couple of years since he got here that's involved Grosjean. And I know that IndyCar punches up at F1. I distinctively remember, like, when Hamilton was propping Alonso up for the 500 when he was there for the Triple Crown and... and IndyCar didn't like how Hamilton, you know, his Hamilton's compliment of Alonso was taken in the context of, well, that mean must mean IndyCar's drivers suck. And I don't think Hamilton meant it like that. Um, and a lot of people are like, well, he's only got to worry about two cars in his series. And it, it all got very petty. Um, and there's a lot to, to describe the fact that IndyCar and F1 don't really like each other. And IndyCar likes to punch up at F1, and that's the second bus bro that Grosjean's tangled with. And again, bus bros has had no problem poking fun at F1 in, in regards to the super license system when Colton Herter was getting rumored about it. You can see where I'm going with this. It, I. At what point do I say there might be something worse at play here? Like, are they, are they ragging on the F1 guy? Are they racing him differently? 
because I'm starting to get that feeling a little bit, and it worries me because I hope I'm wrong in what I'm saying. I hope it's just an unfortunate coincidence or that the driving standards in IndyCar just stink at the moment and there could be like he could be a symptom of a larger problem, but something ain't right about this RJ to me. That, 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 I, that, that's, that's the impression that I get. I think that it, it is a general driving standards problem. Sure. Because, the th- because to me, it's like, yes, Grosjean has had this happen several other times. He's also not the only driver from a European background with a competing team right. that is with a contending team that's in contention to win races. This, for example, this this doesn't happen to Marcus Erickson. Marcus Erickson did not have the most prolific European career, but he's also an Indianapolis 500 winner. Mm. He's not necessarily a born, he's not a born and bred American driver. His only link to any of that stuff was that his mentor was Kenny Brack back in his early days. Sure. So, and I realize how I'm going to sound when I say this, I don't think it's a problem of... America versus the world, in a I sense. I, I I hope it isn't. I don't I don't think it is, especially given like McLaughlin's, you know, from the oceanic part of the world. They haven't really got beef with France. I know it's easy to rag on France culturally. Um, I know a lot of us do. Um, but again, I don't think it's that. Um, but. I, I, I talked about this a lot last year, RJ. It, it, it feels like the series still has a bit of a boys club vibe about it sometimes. I mean, I get it from that perspective. I just, I just want to make sure that, you know, we don't, we don't play this card whenever it's Grosjean having a bad day. Mm. Because that's, that's another thing that I get the sense of is that, Whenever it's any other driver who doesn't come from the who's not of the IndyCar system that's that's having a bad day or has had conflict with somebody else, uh, that you know it, it's not it's not a thing where we have to break down and examine the cultural divide between sections of the grid and other sections of the grid. Mm. You only have to go back a few years where Alexander Rossi was not a real American driver who was really invested in really racing in America for real because it was a European guy. Hell, you only have to go back this off season where Logan Sargent wasn't a real American because he wasn't really racing in America like Colton Herta was. And we sent yeah. the wrong American to formula one. Never mind the fact that Logan Sargent is as much of a Florida man as anybody could get. Yeah, exactly. He, he, he really is American. And like, it's like when Graham ranted about how, Oh, F1 doesn't want American drivers. It only wants American money. And I was like, does anybody want to tell him that Logan Sargent's probably going to be in F1 next year, but he's yeah. not and, one and to of his, them. And to his point, it's just like, you know, yes, he's taking shots at Romain Grosjean because he is, he's notoriously all bark and no bite, but you know, he's, he's willing to come and invite Sebastian Vettel over the second he announces his retirement. So yeah. I don't know how much, how much stock I'd put into that. I really think Graham Rahal is looking out for for his brand, what makes him and his series better. Um, I think this was simply Scott McLaughlin, by his own admission, overestimating how much grip he had on cold tires on the defensive line, trying to go for the win of the race. Romain Grosjean did what he felt like he had to do. He had more grip on the racing line, and he felt like he had enough room to make the pass around a tight corner, knowing that 
that was probably going to be his only chance to get by. Sure. I, I wouldn't, I would be very careful to blow it up as, as anything bigger than that. And look, I do use these words carefully. I'm not, I'm not, it's not like I was waiting for a Grosjean tag to go, ha ha, gotcha. Um, it's just, at a certain point, it stops being a pattern of behavior. And like, it was, and don't get me wrong, my stance has softened on this purely because of how McLaughlin handled this. Like, because after Newgarden at Nashville last year, I never quite looked at Newgarden in the same way again after that. Because what he's, the, the behavior he had on, on Twitter after Nashville was way out of character for him. So much so, I, I, I literally used the words in my piece that the mask had slipped. Because I know that Newgarden is very PR heavy, very media savvy. He's a bit of a series darling in general, and he has been for a long time. Yeah, and um, you've and you've even said this is the superstar oh, that Indy Carter should be marketing himself around. One hundred percent, because he is the guy that like he is the action man of he's the GI Joe of IndyCar, and I don't use that as an insult. I mean that in a he he's absolutely your brand sort of guy. He's funny, he's charismatic, he's handsome. You know, he's a fantastic race car driver. He can win anything you throw in front of him on IndyCar's disciplines. And yeah, he, he I, might just, say, I just think of like he's never been this far on tilt. Coming right. off an Iowa weekend where he has a broken suspension mm. that takes away his chance to win a double, puts him in the hospital, and then what does he have to do but go in the next week into Nashville, his home race that he desperately wants to win, and on a race where everybody is on tilt because oh, that yeah. race turns out to be another shit show. He is the most on tilt because he feels like he has a chance to win, and that chance was ripped away from him. I'll let you decide whether if it's a, of his own doing or not. I personally think it was, and I think Grosjean had every right to be pissed. Um, and the fact that his defense of that maneuver was, quote, well, Grosjean's gotten away with worse, um, that that it's a bad way of carrying yourself. It's, yeah. it's, it's I, I, again, again, in the article I described it as, the guy who has the baby sibling and blames them for these the china that's been smashed in the middle of the living yeah. room. It's and, and just because Grosjean, you think Grosjean's gotten away with worse, whether you think that's actually true or not, or whether that actually has happened or yeah. not, is a matter of opinion. But Roman Grosjean's no, reputation as a wild man did not start in IndyCar in 2021. No, and it was uh, and it was grossly overinflated by the people on the other side of the fence that love to have the 100%. big bond, the big binder full of Charizards as you wrote. We got all the Charizards. Stop being so mean to me. Yeah, look, and it's I also am, like Roman Grosjean yeah. doesn't. You know what? Roman Grosjean is a successful 37 year old man with a family. He didn't need to do this. It's awesome that he is doing this. Absolutely. It is fantastic that he's doing this, and I think he's going to win his first IndyCar race sometime down the road because this weekend showed. Hey, Andretti's serious about winning again. Yeah, at one point they had their cars one, two, and three, and they had every chance of having a one-two finish because Colton Herder was in the mix as well. And unfortunately his race was ended by Will Power in a similar incident. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and good thing for Scott McLaughlin that he owned up to it. Will, Will didn't. I kind of feel slipped back into his old habits. And they, Colton yeah, Herda, who yeah. needed a strong start to this season because now he is the driver that everybody thinks is going to Formula One, whether it's with, Michael Andretti's team or with somebody else down the road, 
you gotta get deliver a strong result in the championship to get those super license points. Mm. And now that's him starting the season in a deep, deep deficit. Yeah, yeah. And I think I completely agree with you for what it's worth. That that was all on power. That was and his interview after the race was very well, what did I do? Sort of vibe about it in the sense of it was like, yeah, I'll talk to Colton, but I I, I he, he's like he really wanted to say, Well, I wasn't gonna back out of it even though he was never winning that fight. He, he, never, he didn't even have half a car alongside Colton when he set, for, when he set that lunch into turn eight. And Colton got put in the wall through no fault of his own. Um, he was more than reasonable in giving power racing room. And, you know, he's, he's going to take the corner at some point, uh, you know. And, yeah, it's – I do think there's a little bit of quantum A and a little bit of quantum B in all of this. And quantum B for me was the series has an overall discipline problem when it comes to driving standards. Power got an end-of-the-line penalty for that incident, which dropped him to, I think, about 13th or 14th place. That's the tail end of the last lap. He salvaged a top 10 finish. Scott McLaughlin was lucky that everybody else that would have contended for the championship of the win got knocked out behind it because mm. this was a carnage fest. This was a shit show. Meyershank Racing, not that we knew about the scandal that we just talked about at the time, had both their cars wiped out in a turn three in the race. Simon Pagano had nowhere to go but sandwiched in between two other cars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... McLaughlin getting a drive-through penalty after he was already a lap down in the pits serves no purpose. I know they could, at their discretion they can also apply grid penalties for the next race if the if IndyCar so chooses. I hope they do because the, the, the drive-through penalty served no purpose in this instance. The punishment was already served. He lost the lap um, in having to fix the front of his car. If you want to punish him for that incident, you, you hit him with grid places for Texas in three weeks' time. Um, I hope they do. Again, yeah. they normally announce it nearer the time, so we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. It'll usually be like nine places for an oval track, which is where we're going to in a couple weeks. That's Motor mm. Speedway. Place yeah. where Scott McLaughlin and Team Penske usually succeed because big money teams always typically tend to do well at Texas mm. Motor Speedway. Mm. Yeah. I don't think and Roman Grosjean has any remorse. I don't think, no. I don't think we're at a crisis point where it's IndyCar's all-American gang trying to stick it to them damn foreigners. I don't think it's that, but I also think there is still a very thinly veiled layer of snark in how IndyCar treats F1 in, in general. And I guarantee you there'll be a string of jokes about this and a string of F1 jabs coming from F1 fanboys when Bus Bros comes out later this week. Um, even though McLaughlin has taken 100% accountability for it. He's already started clapping back at people on Twitter. Um, and all I will say is that, yes, you're absolutely right. People on their keyboards maybe don't know better, but I would also say it doesn't take a rocket scientist and to me to be a race car driver to tell you that you fucked up. And I don't think you, I don't think McLaughlin would be so apologetic if he didn't at least know that in the back of his head. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's, there's a lot to, to dissect in all of this. Um, and the other thing I'll say as well is mm. that, you know, you, you don't need you don't need dickheads like Don, Don Slanka at Champ Web out here saying, well, what was he supposed to do about it? No. Uh, the, 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 the sentence I made in response to that was, race state doesn't absolve you of accountability. I don't care if it's lap two, lap 65 like it was in this instance, or lap 100. You don't do that. That's poor driving. You lost control of your car, and unfortunately, you took somebody else out with you 
because of your reckless driving. You ruined it. You ruined what was very. Uh, it ultimately ruined what was going to be a very very good race. If what mm. we saw out of the net two drivers that would go on to take the uh, the first and second spots would serve as a per uh, would uh, go on to prove because uh, we did uh, we did eventually get a good lead fight for the win. Pat Ward took the lead uh, after that incident, and on the ensuing restart, he just rockets out. He's up to a two to three second lead within the first lap. But Mark Erickson starts reeling him in and reeling him in, and they're within half a second of each other with about three laps to go. Free to go. Then yep. Pat Ward gets kind of a sketchy exit, and then Mark Erickson just drives right around him. Mm-hmm. On a Erickson, strike. Right, right on a straightaway. We're trying to figure out what the hell happened. A war gets has to get out of the throttle when he should be flat on it. Erickson drives past. He eventually takes a win. Pat Award is in second. And and the and what's what really spoke to me was how Pat Award was struggling to say anything after the race on television. <laughs> he he was livid. Pato Award is one of the happiest, cheeriest drivers in all of IndyCar. He's always smiling. He's always cheeky. He's always got a very positive attitude in regard to, even on bad days, he, he can't help himself. He's always smiling when interview, people interview him. And I know fans on our WTF1 Discord that actually got pictures of him afterwards, and he's still beaming as ever. He was pissed. He was livid. Um, and i got to say, shout out to James Hinchcliffe, who had a fantastic bit of commentary when he, he was the one that spotted it was a plenum fire. It, oh, it yeah. was a... It was, it was I, a plenum should fire. I, should I tell everybody what, what this is? Because I sure. know now it's everybody's first time. Uh, that's basically a, 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 it's basically a way of saying all the fuel in the fuel injector got sucked up and burned at once. That causes a drop in engine power and torque, and the only way to get rid of that fire is by lifting out of the throttle. Yeah. It's it I can't even remember the last time I've seen one of these in IndyCar, and they are they're like rocking horse shit. Um God, I Andre. know the last time I've seen this, and Pat O'Ward told us. It was mm-hmm. at mid-Ohio in the warm-up. This same thing happened to him in the warm-up oh. session in a race where he started from the pole, mm-hmm. and then later on in the race with a different fuel system issue, his car retires. It, 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 Pat Ward said it just happens randomly. His Chevrolet engines have this sort of problem. And my question is, first and foremost, why would Mecca Ilmore do this? <laughs> um, but... Yeah, that's a uh, that's that's obviously like very very worrying. I mean, it cost him ten easy points in the championship in a race that, you know, with how difficult it was to pass on the track around St. Petersburg, he easily goes on to win that race, in my opinion. Oh, 100 percent. Like this, this this was as near a nailed on win as you could hope for, um, and it would be the most cruel twist of fate for Pato Award, the man that was probably more negatively affected reliability-wise, of almost anyone in that top seven title fight last year. And the first race of the year, Pato might actually get the rub of the green for once to benefit from a nasty incident at the front of the field. Pato is going to be the one to benefit and win and start off his season in a perfect fashion. And a plenum fire costs him not enough to ruin his race, not enough to force him to park the car, but just enough to make him lose. 
Like, is he lost half a second in doing that? And that was the half a second because it was track position. He can't get it back. He, he, he gives up in the last couple of laps, really, just make sure he doesn't get past for second. Oh, by the way, side note, we fucked around and let Scott Dixon back in. We um, fucked around and let Scott Dixon back again. Why do we keep doing this, IndyCar? Um, it was his 193rd top five finish in IndyCar. 193. He's tied Mario Andretti for most top five finishes all time because Scott Dixon is a freak. Anyway, yeah, it, it hit Pato Award just enough to take him out of the win. And like I said afterwards, Pato was livid. And the, the line that got me during that post-race interview on TV, because he didn't say very much, he was he was struggling to speak. I think that's how angry he was. Absolutely. We, we can't keep letting this happen, was the words that he said. He knows. He knows the situation he's in. He knows that McLaren have now grown. They're now a three-car team. They have the best lineup they've ever had with him, Alex Rossi, and Felix Rosenquist. And we all know it's probably getting better next year when it's going to be Alex Pelot in the seven car. And that is a formidable lineup. That I mean, if Alex Rossi is your third car in a team of three that's got Pato Award and, and Alex Pelot in it, you've got two bona fide contenders and one guy who was a contender not long ago. It's an incredible I'll say thing. This. I'll yeah. say this, like, on remove that context and, like, McLaren got two of their cars in the top five. That's a very yeah. good day for them. Oh, Alexander Rossi was fourth on debut with his new team. Yeah. You'll so take that. You yeah, know, it, you hate that Felix Rosenquist got wiped out in three quarters, but mm. you'll take second and fourth on the day, but the way Pato Award lost that race. Oh, and you know that titles have been decided by less than 10 points. I still remember the dead heat in 2015. Oh. I still remember the dead heat in 2008. Oh, God. It was, mm. yeah, that, that can mm-hmm. be huge, which yeah. ties into my next theory that I talked about at the stop of this target, uh, at the very top of the show. Mm. Marcus Erickson can never win a normal IndyCar race. I feel bad for him at this point. It's like, it's like he cannot win via conventional fashion. It's incredible that this is like, look, this is this thing I didn't want to talk about during the earlier segment about McLaughlin and Grosjean. Is that Marcus Ericsson has not got on the, the true rub of the green in terms of how he's been perceived in this series, even though he won a 500. Even then, I jokingly nickname him Plan C sometimes because of how that race played out. Because we all know Dixon was one mile an hour over on the speed trap when he came into the pit lane, and Polo was unlucky because he had to take an emergency stop last year at the 500. Ericsson was plan C, and Ericsson ended up winning the 500. And it was a, a phenomenal moment, and a nice fuck you to all the F1 guys out there who thought he wasn't worth shit, because, you know, F1 careers can often go a bit south, not even if it's necessarily the driver's fault. And look, Marcus Ericsson is a great IndyCar driver. He's been top six the last two years. He led the championship for over half of last season. Like, this, this should not feel like a fluke if Marcus Ericsson wins a race. And yet he's had shenanigans in all four races he's won in IndyCar. Oh, Let's, go through. Down. Let's go through. Detroit 2021. Romain Grosjean hits the wall late in the race. That brings out a red flag. Will Power is leading, but his car is overheating. They're, he's screaming at his mechanics to put a fan on the car to, so that way it can cool down so he can take the start. He can't start in time. Marcus Erickson takes the lead on the ensuing restart and goes on to take his first career win. We fast forward a few months to Nashville, the inaugural Music City Grand Prix, where Marcus Erickson, I need to remind you, 
gets airborne off the back of Sebastian Bourdais and wins in a race that had two different red flags, two different drivers disqualified, had nearly half the field retired, and nearly 50% of the race was run under a yellow flag or a safety car. And then, of course, Indianapolis last year. This one was a bit more conventional. His teammates did lose out on terrible mistakes in the pits. And ironically, another teammate of his crashed out late. That brought out a red flag, which could very well have cost him the victory, mm. if not for certain defense and Pato Award making a business decision for himself. But here's the wild thing, is that even when Marcus Erickson can never win a normal race, we talked about it so many times. He's so consistent every other weekend that he's stuck around the last two championship battles of battles as a result, even if he hasn't won any of those. And while every one of those wins has been a little bit fortunate, I want to point out something else that I went through the IndyCar record Brooks. And I know when I go through this, a lot of these drivers will have had uh, shortened careers, but I want to point out that as of today, Marcus Erickson has more wins than Tony Stewart, Scott mm -hmm. Pruitt, Mm -hmm. And Marco and John Andretti. So you have two motorsport Hall of Famers and two long-tenured members of an established family dynasty of American open wheel racing. Sure. With his fourth win, he will have as many wins as Brian Herta, who you know is Colton's dad. Mike Colton's Conway, dad. a world endurance champion who people forget was one of the best road course ringers in the sport until he decided to make a career change and two-time Indianapolis 500 winner Bill Vukovic the first. <laughs> and if he wins one more race, he'll have as many wins as the late Greg Moore, he'll have as many wins as Jacques Villeneuve, and he'll have as many Formula wins as Nigel Mansell. Yeah. Go back a few years and say, uh, go back a few years from the future and tell people, one day Marcus Erickson will have as many wins as Nigel Mansell. People will lock you up and th mm -hmm. just throw away the key. He can't keep getting away with it, but he is. And it's taking him way, way up the leaderboards and keeping him in every title fight the last few years. Sometimes you just make your own luck. And while I'd love to see more to more top tens turn to top fives and podiums for Marcus Erickson, it's working. It is working. And two comments from the, from the audience that I want to point out here. One is from Jason, who says, quote, you're not getting sick from the standings, only unlock. unlock. I completely agree with you, Jason. You, you're like, IndyCar is too competitive for that, quite frankly. And the second comment is, Zoe, Zoe points out, Marcus was mad that Marshall Pruitt didn't even list him on his title contenders preseason. A guy that led the championship for over half of last year and won the 500. So, yeah, I think it's like Marcus has got the reverse Grosjean problem where it's like people still just don't take him seriously. And this is the fact the, the fact he won the sports pinnacle event on merit of his own volition and had to hold off Pato Award to do it. Um, people thought I was being disrespectful to Harrison when I put him seventh in my top ten drivers of last year list. Right. and He and, still made the top ten! <laughs> it's Marcus Belongs. And absolutely, he in he, he is the best floor raising driver you can have of a team in IndyCar. Look, if anything, it only speaks to how good Chip Ganassi is as a team that Marcus Ericsson is Plan C, because you've got 
Alex Pillow, who could have a dynasty of run in this series and is an uh, is and was one of the fastest adapters to IndyCar I have ever seen in any way, and could have nearly had a double of Aston Cup and Indy 500 wins in his second year in the series. Was you know, only got beaten by Helio by a nose on on, on the last year at the 500, um, and Scott Dixon, who is one of the greatest North American racing north american championship racing drivers we've ever seen on oh and by the way they're restacking stacking the cabbers because marcus armstrong who yes did get into a bump with david malukas uh and had his race compromise still finishes the top rookie and he gets to swap out with takuma sato for at least two of the oval races hopefully the other three to go with it that's Mm -hmm. not a bad lineup at all it's an incredible. It's, it's an incredibly strong. Uh, Marcus was strong on debut. He looked like he belonged. You know, you can't ask for much more than that from a rookie. First time of asking. It's only like the fact that we can even talk about Marcus in the light of an incredible. I, I would say the top eight drivers in IndyCar, and Harrison. I say, and I say all the Penskys. I'm talking. I'm talking Will Power, Joseph Newgarden, Scott McLaughlin, all the Chip Ganassi teammates he's got, except for the 11 car, i.e. Dixon and Polo. And I would chuck in Padua Ward and Colton Herter in that mix as well. Marcus belongs in that top eight discussion, 100%, in my opinion, because he may not have the ceiling that a lot of these other guys do, but he has a higher floor than a lot of these drivers do. And and like it's a shame that people don't take him seriously. I don't, I don't know, again, I don't know if, if that's some of the F1 hangover effect that, you know, he got the pay driver label over there when he was over there and racing against Pascal Verline, a, a very talented driver in his own right. And Charles Leclerc, we all know how fucking good Charles Leclerc is one of the best drivers on the planet. Yeah. Period. Yeah. His, his um, lack of championships is not a him problem. No, it is not. And it's a shame because, and again, the racing gods are being cruel with him in the sense of at least he can't get a quote legitimate win. Um, but this is IndyCar. <laughs> like, sh- Some- shenanigans happen. Yeah. Shenan- like, I-, I remember. Do you remember, Dre? Do you remember a driver by the name of Mario Dominguez? No. Fill me um, in. Mario Dominguez uh, raced in the mid 2000s at the dearth of the American open wheel split. He was mm-hmm. on the cart slash champ car side, brought in quite a bit of sponsorship from Mexico. And he also got multiple very fortunate wins. One of those was a soggy rain blasted surfers paradise race where the first lap started with a multi-car pileup. And then the rest of the race was just run under yellow flags and there's like a there's like an ongoing discussion about how they're ruining the race to make sure that Michael Andretti, who's going to the other side at the end of that season, mm. doesn't win another race. I so they're going to give it to Mario Dominguez. Dominguez goes out and wins the next year at Miami. Yes, there were street races at Miami on the actual streets of Miami in a race where half the cars didn't finish and half the race was run under yellows. But he was never able to string together consistency the way that Erickson is right now. Right. Marcus Erickson was the wrong driver at the wrong time for his entire Formula One career. Mm. It's different now. He belongs, and he is one of the best drivers in this series, and I say that with no comprehension. Like, if I wanted to build a three-car team in IndyCar right now, I'd be very tempted to take Marcus Erickson, knowing that he's going to raise my floor. And that's not an insult, especially in a series as volatile 
and where consistency is genuinely hard to come by. It's not like Formula One, where there's, there's much more of a hierarchy when it comes to performance. And obviously the car's not being spec. There's more variance in car performance that has an impact on how careers can play out. IndyCar being spec. And and it's no coincidence that for the last two and a half seasons, Marcus Erickson has been Mr. Top 10. And that is a valuable, genuinely valuable trait to have in IndyCar as a series. Even if he doesn't have that New Garden or McLaughlin-esque ability to win any race they can on paper. Maybe the ceiling isn't quite there, but he's certainly a guy you can build a team around. And that is valuable in IndyCar, and that is worth acknowledging. So just give him a fucking normal win, IndyCar, for God's sake, because I'm having this conversation. Um, when he, when he, when he, if he ever wins a normal race. <laughs> I, 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 exactly. I hope so. Now, before we get out of here, I wanted to talk a little bit about the logistics because we're now sitting here as IndyCar fans now knowing there's three and a half weeks till the next race in Texas for the XPEL 375. Um, I don't like the fact that IndyCar has this opening race and then insists on doing a one-month break immediately after that and then having having an oval race there. Uh, should St. Pete stay as the opener? And are you a fan of the series taking an immediate one-month hiatus as soon as the season starts? It's it's tricky because the way they justify this is that they don't want to cause a clash with the 12 hours of Sebring because they have a lot of IndyCar drivers that are running this. Mm-hmm. But RJ, you're forgetting the fact that they had a schedule last year with a similar three to four week break between St. Petersburg and Texas, and Texas still fell on the same week as Sebring. I don't know what's up with that. Mm. But, you know, one thing that has come up is that IndyCar is, once again, it's being floated around that they want to try try new venues, or at least going back to old ones, given another chance. You know, obviously, Watkins Glen is on there. Um, you know what I'm thinking? Go on. There's a there's a one and a half mile super speedway that doesn't quite have that same stink that Texas Motor Speedway does for processional racing mm. or just being a insane three wide flat out death trap with no in between. Sure. Homestead Miami Speedway mm. hasn't been on the calendar for over a decade, but it does have open wheel history. It was on the IndyCar and car calendar for about 15 years or so, and that was after the reprofiling. Um, it's come up as a potential new returning venue. I'm thinking maybe you have Homestead as the first race of the season, and then you can carve out a giant chuck at the downtime just to avoid a clash with Sebring, uh, assuming everybody is in good shape afterwards. Turn right back around next week and you brace at St. Pete. Why not? I mean, if you can't go to Homestead, I've always said, and this is something I've always heard from IndyCar fans about how much they love their oval races and then they wish there was more oval races because it's a unique discipline that no other series really does besides NASCAR. Why not open the season with one of them? Get get some excitement going. Say, hey, the first... Uh, look, I'm not a fan of Texas, especially post-PJ1 and obviously what's happened there with NASCAR. And look, NASCAR, I aren't exactly a fan of it either at the moment. I, I, I'm very much aware of, Den- of what Denny Hamlin thinks of Texas. And it, and <laughs> the, the best way to renovate it is to start with a bulldozer. Yeah. 
I don't, They've I, taken I, the wrong track and tried to bulldoze it into a half mile uh, short oval because of a booming real estate market. I'm sorry, did I just did I just have slap shoes join this podcast? I mean, where's your pork and beans, O'Connell? Um, but no, I completely I, look. I think you could easily swap the opening two rounds. I'm distracted by RJ double double, double cannon at the moment, but uh, no, I think there's no reason why they couldn't open the season with Texas. And look, I'm not even a fan of Texas. And even then, we got lucky last year that it had a fantastic finish between McLaughlin and Newgarden. It basically, having Newgarden steal one with 500 yards to go. Um, and like even that, I think, would be better for excitement and, and would get people going more than a tricky street circuit, which can produce bad habits, especially with rusty drivers. And then, or even start the season later. It's weird because you decided to go head to head with Formula One here on March 5th. And they got very lucky that Bahrain only had one short virtual safety card because they got dangerously close to overlapping. Because Bahrain started at three UK time and IndyCar started at five UK time. And Bahrain luckily ran short when it could often go long. Um, Bahrain's gotten close to the two-hour time limit on a couple of occasions. That's right. So, yeah. Andy Nets is viewership. Uh, I'm <laughs> curious to see how that turned out because they did not get the run of the green there. They had a wild and eventful race with mm. a uh, with a with a with many last lap lead changes and a bit of carnage as well. Uh, but it wasn't nobody watching that. It's a shame because Daniel Frost deserved better for his first win. He did, he did, and it's a darn shame. I hope both viewers enjoyed it, is what I would say in response to that. Um, but yeah, it's. I I think they can. I think they're better off opening with an oval and starting a couple of weeks later. Like start in the middle of March rather than the top of March, or in some cases late February, because you've done that before in IndyCar. You just did that last year. Yeah, like like why are we racing February twenty eighth? I don't I don't understand why you're racing. You're not NASCAR. You don't have thirty six races in a season. Come on. Like, there's no reason why they have this one-month hiatus at the top of the year and then they insist on doing double and triple headers later on in the congested part of the summer. It's silly. It's it's just poor scheduling in my mind. I know they've got to... They're trying to cater towards the guys that want to double up with him, sir, and that's completely understandable. But there is no reason to have four weeks off at the top of the year. None. And you've got all of March to play with and you can dodge the Formula One bullet quite easily if you wanted to but you just choose not to. And I think that's just silly logistical planning from IndyCar who need all the help they can get when their races are getting a million viewers an episode and even shitty NASCAR races like the one we got in Vegas last week is still getting nearly 4 million. Like, I know they're never going to win that fight with NASCAR in the grand scheme of things, but they're just shooting themselves in the foot in certain instances because they're in the middle of a sandwich of... The series that's got the biggest growth at the moment in Formula One, and people are excited for a season opener in Bahrain until they actually sat down and watched it. And NASCAR, who always has a hardcore audience of at least three and a half million people, no matter what dog shit's on TV. Um, and no matter, how, no matter how dog shit things are economically with NASCAR. Right. Like, people will still watch it. Be like, like, four million people every week in America will still watch NASCAR regardless of what they're putting out. Which is, <laughs> which is wild for a series that was once threatening to displace the NHL and NBA from the big four of American sport. And now every time you hear NASCAR on this show is like, 
in passing or when something terrible happens in NASCAR or when something mm. ridiculous happens in NASCAR. The last time we talked about NASCAR outside of Ross Chastain's miracle move at Martinsville was when Ryan Newman nearly died. That kind of says it all about how we feel about NASCAR on a week-to-week basis. And I and I got into the series full-time last year, and I genuinely thought it was okay. Um, it's overall, okay. It's yeah, okay. No. It always has the potential to be better, except NASCAR uh, just shoots itself in the foot sometimes. Same with IndyCar. Same with IndyCar. No, we could we could lay out. We could lay out. And I know I've done the whole. I'm the IndyCar hot guy because I write about it full time because I'm the only full 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 time host that does. But I can lay out all the things that are bad about it. You know, Linus Lundquist is probably watching this race thinking, oh, "Why isn't it me getting swallowed up in that pileup?" Oh yeah, it's because <laughs> I got screwed over on, pi- on prize money. You know, there's many iRacing drivers to think, why can't I take that IR18 around St. Petersburg for an official race session? Oh, God. Oh, wait, that's right, because Motorsport Games decided to squat on that IP. Mm-hmm. There, There is an Acura Air so sits that has a wonderful internal combustion engine in it that's not going to be in use in IndyCar next year, and who knows when it's going to be used. Mm-hmm. There is a wonderful reality series that has plenty of footage to go in for its first few episodes but it is built around the rum race that doesn't need the help promotion wise. And it's, and it's on the, uh, it's on the, uh, it's on the XFL of American free to air networks. <laughs> RJ's just spitting right now. Uh, I, 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 let, let the record show viewers and listeners that I did not encourage any of what he's just said. Um, but these are all frustrations that we've said about IndyCar as fans on the record, off the record. We've all had these conversations at some point in, in time. And look, I could also chuck in the mix. They don't give a shit about international viewers like me. And that's unfortunate because, like, I get it. It's a very nationalized series. It always has been. But you've got British fans that genuinely love your product. And I said in my piece earlier, I was like, look, I know well, this series. They're going to love some Callum Island. Yeah, and like they love they they love Brits when they can use them to market themselves, right? But they don't give they don't really give a shit about their very meager fan base here. And I mean, they were they were giving their indie next rights away, and I and I I cynically suspect the only reason they were so keen to get them was because Jamie Chadwick is in that series. And you people who who know me and know my work know exactly how I feel about Jamie Chadwick at the moment. Um, yeah, and that's and it, and it makes me very uneasy regarding how her career is talked about at the moment. These are all frustrations I have with this series, and this series often sits on its hands when it comes to dealing with little things like that. And this is one of this is one of those little things they could easily fix, but they just choose not to, and that's what makes it so frustrating. There is no reason to take a month off after St. Pete. You're going to kill all the momentum you've got. And I don't even like using that word, but you, they kill off all the momentum they've got in their series. They had a genuine highlight reel moment to start their year. And everyone's going to forget about it because Formula One's going to have at least one more race before IndyCar returns. Because the same weekend, I think, as the um, Australian Grand Prix, the third round of the year, um, Formula E is in the middle of a hiatus themselves right now for for a month, which I think is also silly. MotoGP starts the week before on March 26th. And look, I know it gets next to no TV coverage in America, but the Europeans will be all over that. Of course they are, because we love our bikes here in the UK. You get the gist. Like it's it's it serves no purpose. But then they and they insist on having triple headers in July. 
it's just I I I I think it's silly. And yeah, I think they could do better. And again, I say that and about you know sick. And you know what's sick? And we and we talked about this on the award show. We'll come back for more of this because the racing is just so damn good. This race this race weekend was everything I love and hate about IndyCar. Like, it was eventful. It was eventful. It was entertaining. It was exciting. It was great seeing the fans back again after a year. The Swedish mafia that came out for Marcus Ericsson. Oh, is that ev- was so much fun. It was everything great about IndyCar because only niche lovers of the series would make that sort of effort to go to Florida to cheer on Marcus Ericsson, of all people. Yeah. Right? That cult following that IndyCar has gotten, and trust me, I'm not using it as an insult in this context, I promise. That hardcore following is what keeps IndyCar afloat, and that's what can often be appealing towards that series, as well as off-putting sometimes. And that's a good thing and a bad thing. But it also had horrible driving standards, two nasty wrecks, um, and a race-winning highlight moment for where one of their biggest stars makes me think about them and how they're treated more cynically because of the culture of the series. And and that is unfortunate because I know I am not the only. I had people reach out to me, and I know for a fact I'm not the only person that thinks that Grosjean gets a rough end of the stick more than coincidentally. And that's unfortunate because sometimes the way the series promotes itself does itself no favors. Um, and it, it opens the door for greater criticism, and it can do better. And I want it to do better. I wish I didn't have to end the show on a, such a polarizing note because like but that's just how i honestly feel because it's just like i i said and you'll see this because we're going to put the cape town episode we recorded last week for formula re from back there after this one later yeah. this we, week. We, we decided to do some last minute audible so if you listen to any one of these podcasts and we mentioned an episode number that feels out of whack uh we just we just kind of we should call some one. audibles yeah, and we say the same thing about Cape Town's race in Formula E last week, where we said, look, this was a fantastic race, but we're still leaving it with a bit of taste in our mouths. And that's kind of how I feel about St. Pete, and that's annoying. IndyCar is back in three weeks' time at Texas, and, you know, maybe we can afford to get more than two cars running side by side. Maybe. Possibly. We'll see. Formula One and IndyCar really aren't that different because they're kicking off their seasons in places with horrible human rights records that are using major sports to wash away that image. It's a great time, isn't it? (laughs) We'll see you next week. Um, Until next time, I've been Dre Harrison. He's been RJ O'Connell. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you. God, next week for Formula One. Uh, next week for Formula One in in Saudi Arabia. Uh, I'll good Saudi Arabia. Fucking fantastic. Sign Arab. <laughs> Bye.